It was a long time coming, but the first wave of Chinese cars has crashed onto Australian shores. There's another huge swell building out the back. Yes, it's time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. This is episode 197, China's New Generation. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and joining me to discuss this seismic shift in the Aussie automotive landscape is Cars Guide Adventure Editor Crafty. Morning. And key contributor Steve. Greetings. We'll shine a light into distant recesses of the Cars Guide garage, looking back on our hero cars and memorable drives. Then we'll dive into your feedback. Um, YouTubers, if you want to plot your own adventure, you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below. And you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's hit the start button. Well, the thing that uh, that was the catalyst for this is we've been running uh, stories during the week, and they all added up to a to a well, gee, it's happening again. It took forever the first time around. There was this impending sense of boy, China's going to have an impact on the Australian car market because they're producing a product at a certain price point um, with a certain level of equipment, which is pretty impressive. And um, MG, then it finally happened. MG established itself and has become a major player in the top 10 regularly in terms of sales. Um, others, the, the ute market, SUVs, the whole lot. And it feels like there's another lot that's, uh, that's about to be headed our way that could make an even greater impact. And the, the first one is GWM Tank 600. And Crafty, you're only saying that, um, you know, in Australian parlance, tank isn't necessarily a great thing. But uh, it's a, it doesn't look like a tank to me. It's a pretty handsome vehicle. People on YouTube will have some pics up. Do you agree? Yeah, no, it's a good-looking thing. It's a good-looking thing. And these things, I mean, like we were saying before the podcast, these things have improved. You know, they're in another universe to what they started out as in terms of everything, drivability, safety, you know, the standard features you get, the things you can do. Build uh, quality. These vehicles, build quality. <laughs> most importantly you know they're, and they're, they are eons better than what they used to be um pretty good bang for your buck um for yeah. and for a lot of people they make a real appealing proposition uh when you look at you know the dual cab ute market or the suv market here where things are getting so expensive yeah. um that you know offering people some some sort of variety and, and some sort of variety at a price point is is a is a good thing Yes, and this—I should say that this uh, Great Wall Tank 600—it's um, the first official images that we're putting up, and it's due to be revealed at the Chengdu Motor Show. Um, uh, so, towards the end of this month, and we've only got a week or so left, uh, maybe less. So, it's—it's it's about to be released. It's a petrol-powered rival, but it's really Prado-focused, um, three-liter turbocharged V6. Uh, 260 kilowatts, 500 newton meters, nine-speed auto. So, in terms of the the layout, uh, it's it's got a lot going for it. Steve, do you do you think it's going to be competitive? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, I think the big thing with Chinese cars at the moment is is price and positioning. You know, I think that's really where this, uh, like you said, this sort of first generation of uh, Chinese cars that have hit the mark, like MG. Uh, is just due to, I think, clever price and positioning. They've come into the market, uh, undercut the, I guess, the, you know, what we've previously expected from, you know, as Crafty mm. was saying, you know, we've seen like the Japanese have moved up, the Koreans have moved up, and, you know, it, it, it's left a gap in the market for like, you know, like MG3 is an affordable first car because there's very few affordable 
city cars now, you know, it's like, you know, look at the Toyota Yaris now. It's in cost, you know, cost yep. you, you're not getting any much change out of $30,000 for a Yaris yes. as opposed to, you know, spending 15, you know, under 20. So I think, you know, if, if this, if the tank can be priced well, like I don't, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a few people, you know, if you can't squeeze, you know, you can't stretch the budget to a, to a Land Cruiser, which, you know, they're, yeah. not, they're not cheap cars. You know, well, I mean, it, it also, yes, there's cheap and nasty, there's cheap and cheerful and there's cheap and good value. And, yeah. and when you think about the conversation we had off air just a little while ago, our first experiences with <laughs> a, a Chinese vehicle, uh, mine was uh, a Great Wall, I think it was the Ute, might have been the SUV, I'm not sure, but one of our colleagues, because the importer at that point was so reluctant to, to get the car out into the hands of journos, um, <laughs> he, he kind of gathered the budget together, convinced his seniors that um, that would be a good idea and bought one. And uh, yeah. various, various people had the chance to drive it. And I remember at the time, so it might have been uh, 2013, something yeah, like it was that. Yeah, it was around, around then. Yes, around then. Well, and it to me, it felt like a two generations old Pajero. So it must have been the SUV, yeah. sorry. And it yeah, just it was felt yes, like it was, it was the SUV, yeah. It's like I've driven this car before, but it was some time ago. Um, yeah. It wasn't necessarily badly built. It was just the way it felt and, and the way it presented. Well, certainly I, I also remember that car. Um, and so the interesting with that is it was it was actually quite difficult to sell because they, you know, they were, they were throwing them away. They were giving them yeah. away because, yeah. you know, they just didn't have anything near that, you know, they, they had, you know, huge question marks over the, the brand. Mm. And in some ways, you know, they, which, you know, we're talking about sort of a, a second generation that, that was almost, that was almost like, uh, you know, a preliminary run. Like it was almost like a recce for the, for, you know, the certain yeah. brands. I, I remember before that driving a, I think it was the Cherry J1, Mm. You know, my kids always like to ask me, you know, what's the worst car you've ever driven? And I always say, look, I, <laughs> yeah. I try not to, I try not to really remember. There's not, there's not that many bad cars. And then yeah. I sure. remember the Cherry J1. And I was just <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was gutless. Yeah. You know, like none of the plastics match. You know, you'd have a yeah. curved element of a, of a, you know, the lid yeah. on the, on the center console, but then it'd have like a, a flat top. Yeah. And you're like, none of this. And matches. isn't that interesting? I mean, we're light years away from that now. Yeah, that, that, that is yeah, yeah. that is ancient history, but it's not all that long ago, really. No, that's the I think the impressive thing about the Chinese car industry is how quickly they've evolved. You know, like if you look, we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, just maybe slightly over ten years ago, and you know, yeah, you look at the, the tank and some of the other cars we'll talk about, like they, they are. You know, maybe they're not as good as what we've come to expect from, I guess, the more established brands, but they're not far behind. And the value equation tends to add up when yeah. you when you when you look at what you're presented with and what you're asked to pay. Um, yeah. it's not not a bad equation. Yeah, like so, I think that is the key to MG's success in Australia. You know, it took me a while to actually drive one because it does seem to be, it can be a little tricky with these cars. I think there is a a yeah. sense from even from the car makers themselves that. You know what have we really got here? Yeah. Um, but when you're driving, I mean, I, you know, I, I've driven a few of the MGs now, like the ZS and the HS. Uh, you know, are they class leading cars? No. Are they are they below average? Maybe. Like maybe they're, you know, they're probably class average or slightly below average in terms mm. of, of quality, mm. and particularly the drive, the driving experience. You know, like as we come to expect from particularly brands like, you know, Hyundai and even Toyota in recent years, where they've improved with TNGA. Yeah, to make their cars nicer to drive, mm. they're a little bit behind that, but they present well. 
they're not, you know, they don't have that mismatch plastic inside. I think those those new MGs, they look all right inside. Yeah. That you know, they're fairly generic. They don't really have a have a def, like a bold look to them. Like you know, the tank certainly does, but um, like the MGs are fairly sort of you know homogenous, and they and they appeal. You know, they they it's, just. It's yeah. interesting you mentioned you know giving them away in the, in the early days. I think that's primarily because Crafty had been engaged as a consultant, and that was his uh, marketing <laughs> strategy was to. Establish the car park by actually giving, yeah, giving the right, cars yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but Crafty, you've 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 experienced some, uh, you know, LDVs and and some other Chinese vehicles. What's what's your take in terms of how they stack up currently? I think yeah, I think Stephen's, you know, spot on. Uh, I think they've been really clever. Like I think um, China has watched the evolution of of Toyota and, and ja- other you know Japanese car makers, Korean car makers. They've been watching all this happen, and they've compressed the time frame in which those countries and companies you know took for them to to develop it, and and they've really ramped it up, and it's uh, you know and it's at pace now. And uh, again, you know, years ago they it was difficult to enjoy the driving experience in them because you never felt safe. You never felt comfortable. You know, bits were really sort of, you know, they were, they were hanging on by a, by a thread almost. There probably was thread behind there somewhere. But, uh, yes. Um, and might, have been, might have been silk. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. and, I've, uh, and it's the same with, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, Mahindras and that sort of thing. Um, it, 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 was, it was hard to get hold of one to, to yep. test. And it was it was it was even more difficult to to enjoy. And usually, there's something positive to find about a vehicle, no matter what. But often, they they were very. Well, it it, it, to, it to feels to me on. like there's there was a shift. I don't know when that threshold was actually passed, but a shift from producing what was just another commercial object. You know, it, it might have been um, white goods, or it might have been it just happened to be a car, to bringing in people with experience to transform it into something that is more recognisable as a drivable, practical car. You know what I mean? They've changed their attitude in terms of what a car is. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that's actually, it's funny you say that. I was just thinking, you know, one of the big things that the Chinese car industry has done in the last few years is, is hire out of Europe. You know, you see a lot of now European designers and engineers and, you know, I think, uh, it's it was probably n- no accident that um, you know not to get too controversial, but the the whole Volkswagen emission scandal. You know when they had to jettison some of their key engineers, then I don't think it was a you know I, I think they sort of saw it as a necessity to give some of these people the golden handshake so they yep. wouldn't get you know lured to China with a big contract because yeah, you know right. if you, you get the architect of you know Volkswagen's you know uh, modular platforms. And you send him to China and you give him a budget, like yes. you know. Like, yes, I've been here before. I yeah, might have like, a few ideas. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you've got the if you've got the <laughs> capital behind him to, you know, go and yeah. uh, implement a plan like that, it, it's gonna shortcut them, you know, enormously. So yeah, yeah, totally. uh, I think that's true. But um, like I said, I mean, I think that's the other funny thing. You know, you mentioned the idea of them moving from, you know, building whether it be white goods or, or whatever it was, but that was the Chinese car industry for a very long time. Totally, so yeah, were, totally. It was like the start of the, you know, the American car industry, where, or, or the, you know, the European car industry. You know, like Peugeot used to make salt and pepper grinders. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, know, like it was. I mean, the, the the thing is, it's it's not for the first time. Um, I've thought that. I reckon Japan took a while to get up to speed because culturally there was um, a need. 
to do things ourselves. Like mm-hmm. we, we must do this ourselves. We're not going to have outsiders come in and teach us what to do. We're going to develop it. And I think the Korean industry looked at that and went, mm, we can do this faster. Let's just get the good people, hire them, and we're there in an instant. And I think the Chinese industry has watched that and said, absolutely, that's, yeah. that's the way to go. We'll get whoever we need. And, 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 you know, and to be fair, like credit where it's due, you know, you, companies, you know, like Toyota and Nissan and Hyundai have, have carved the trail for these, these Chinese brands. They have they've yeah. laid down a plan. They've said, hey, you do this, this and this in the Australian yeah. market and you will have uh, success yeah. and so that that's again another reason why they've been able to shortcut. I, th- I think they've made a YouTube video that you can follow. It's very easy. It's like a yeah you know, t- tutorial. This is yeah, how unboxing. to succeed. It's how to yeah, unbox right. the unboxing. But but just to get back to the product, Crafty, um, we we touched on LDV, and one of the the more interesting models for them has been the the T60, mm. um, and it's getting a bit of a, a freshen up with some interior upgrades and what have you. But it's also going to be the most powerful four-cylinder dual-cab ute um, on the market by the time it gets here. So it's, it's set to put the Frighteners, you know, on, on Hilux and Ranger, or that's who it's got in its, in its sides. Um, what, do you, what do you think? It, it's hard to, to see the, the two at the top of the pyramid being worried at all, but 160 kilowatts, 400 newton metres, two-litre twin-turbo diesel, uh, puts it ahead of Hilux on power and, and uh, Ranger. Not talk, it's line ball, but still, if you're a tradie and you you want a work truck, it's going to be a pretty uh, appealing proposition, don't you think? Yeah, and a, and a whole lot cheaper too. You've got to remember yeah. that. I mean, if you're buying a, a work truck or a, you know a, a small fleet for a small business or something, yep, that's uh, that's very attractive. I've, I've spent a lot of time in uh, uh, T60s. Obviously, not this new thing that they're talking about. Yeah, um, but. Uh, you know, it's a it's a decent steerer, uh, a pretty pretty decent off road, pretty comfortable on road. Not a not a whole lot of sort of real hardcore negative things to to say about it, and, yep. and pretty good value for money. I don't think the top tier companies or variants would be concerned. I think it's more your your mid price ones and, and right. lower price ones. You know, they because it'll rattle the cage, and and it could do a whole lot more than that. Like you know, and I think the only problem with these sort of things, and again, it was through we went through the phase of the Japanese Korean. I think it's the stigma. People will go, well, uh, maybe you know, it might be cheaper, but it, it you know, maybe it's not as safe or you yes. know, that sort of thing. And I think yes. once you see a few of them around, and you already see you know a, a, a fair few of these things around. Um, you know, once more and more out there and people see them more and more, then, then they won't think about, you know, that won't be so much of a... a totally. Well, this, this, this new T60 is going to have a, you know, redesigned face, um, a different uh, treatment on the tailgate, and in, inside you've got a new steering wheel, gear selector, centre stack, all that kind of stuff, and it'll, it'll have a bit more tech. So, you know, step by step, uh, trying, trying to chip away. Yeah. Um, hmm. Have you had much experience in the in the T60, Steve? No, I haven't. That's like I said, that they can be a little challenging to drive some of these uh, Chinese oh, okay. vehicles. So I haven't had yes. a chance to have steer in a T60. Yeah, um, I might have to ask the question again. But um, yeah, the, certainly from you know, I was at the original launch of it locally, and just just looking at it, 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 it yeah. you know, it looks a uh, you know well put together. You know, Ute for what it is. Like yeah. Crafty's right. I think it's probably not going to worry Toyota and, and Ford. Yeah. But you know, certainly, you know, the you know, your Nissan and Mitsubishi, particularly the Triton, 
it's probably uh, probably taking aim at, at those kind of you know. More well, affordable- it's it's re- interesting you say that because um, you know early on in the, the MG 2.0, you know when MG arrived for a little while and then then disappeared and came back in a much more yeah. forceful way. Uh, they were reluctant to let journos uh, drive the product. Obviously, yep. you know you can only assume that was nervousness <laughs> around how they might be reviewed. Yes. But our own uh, Matt Campbell uh, used a, a friend in the trade, as they say, a dealer <laughs> that actually wanted to sell even more cars. Uh, just let one, you know, left one parked outside. You might want to, you might want to have a drive at that, which was a, a brilliant move. And his his first response was, "Look, they've got nothing to be scared of. You know, this is a this is a perfectly acceptable car. There's there's no need to be nervous about this." No, that's why I say I've dri- I've I've like I've driven uh, ZS and HS MGs. Yeah, and uh, they're fine. Like like I say, they're probably sort of they're maybe even slightly below class average. I mean, when you be, but that's only because the quality of that that those segments is so high. You sure. know, they are, we are now, you know, I'm driving a Hyundai Tucson at the moment and it's a it's an impressive car, you know. So to compare the HS to it or, you know, or to a RAV4 or to a CX5, that's a big ask. But, you know, compared to say, you know, I think where where MG especially has had good, good um, you know, fortune in this market is they've sort of been able to sort of take almost Mitsubishi's position where Mitsubishi for the last few years has been able to sell on price. Yeah. And now they're able to uh, compete evenly or even maybe slightly undercut them. They MG can undercut them on price whilst being a bit newer and a bit fresher yes. and a bit yes. different, you know? So yeah. it's, that's where I think they've had that big, and let's be honest, I mean, MG is like basically, it's a top 10 brand now. And they're, like, they're you, know, you know, they're nifty looking little cars um, yeah. and SUVs. There's nothing to be um, worried about there. They uh, they look the part. So yeah. uh, that's a big well, part of it as well. Well, they've also, they're also, if you, you know, everything we've talked about are cars in the right segment. You yes. know, we've talked about a Land Cruiser rival, a Hilux rival, you know, yeah. Compact SUV, a midsize SUV, and then an affordable sort of new city car. These yes. are all the segments they should be. You know, they're not coming in with something, you know, yeah, a, a sedan. A, a, yeah, yeah. midsize sedan. Like that's what they had <laughs> originally. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> and they yeah, were not true. good. It was the wrong car at the wrong at the wrong time. Well, that look, the next one up it adds another dimension or another layer to to all of this. In the Great Wall Havel, uh, we're familiar with the H6, but the H6S uh, is a uh, electric car electrified car so it's taking aim at uh, toyota rav4 hybrid um and it's a petrol electric uh hybrid so that's the next frontier as well isn't it to to get into those uh blended powertrains and and full electric and there's no holding back on that either no no no. i I mean yeah i mean i've driven again to go back to mg like the zs ev uh it's fine you know is it is it uh again it it, it's got that lower range driving range and all that sort of stuff because it's a slightly older technology on the battery Mm. but it's the most affordable electric car you can buy and it does the job you know if you're just running around the city it'll do the job so i think uh yeah there's no uh you know you know i don't think there's any anything particularly technical that's going to hold that industry back i think yeah like well the, and- this this h6s it's a 1.5 liter turbo four petrol electric motor in series hybrid setup and the combination produces 179 kilowatts and 530 newton meters and it it's okay. going to be aiming up <laughs> at the mg hs phev and that's 47990 drive away so it's going to 
probably undercut that car or at least be be line ball. So um, yes, that's that's not an insubstantial amount of money, uh, but for a, a you know plug-in hybrid, that's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, to come up with the affordable EVs, I mean, if you if your point of difference is affordability and without sacrificing too much in the way of everything else, yeah. Then, by oh geez, here, I mean, in the future. Yeah. yeah. And sorry, not plug-in hybrid, just uh, in in, uh, in series hybrid setup. Sorry about that. Okay, and look, just one more, which is probably carrying on the fine tradition of fairly oddball names, and this is a more distinctive-looking vehicle, the Great Wall Havel Cherry Cat, and it's actually going to be, you know, internationally marketed under a sub-brand called Aura. So we're talking the O-R-A, Aura, Cherry Cat. Um, ch- challenging name if you're on the showroom floor trying to move these uh, out, yes. out the door yes. uh, I, I, I have sympathy for you um, so it, it's a Seems small not having to say that name 20 over, times a day if you, if you follow me over here I can show you the Aura Cherry Cat yes yeah. okay we'll be you might just there. end up shouting across well, but, the showroom floor that thing over there yeah. the thing, the, anyway the, well that thing over there is a small SUV um, it's a long-range, new battery type. It's going to, again, fight the MG ZS EV, Hyundai Kona uh, Electric. Um, it's their Aura sub-brand. It could be the brand's first EV in Australia, and it shares its underpinnings and basically its dimensions with the, the Jolion. So um, interesting, 150 kilowatts, 340 newton-metre electric motor, and you can have the option of front or all-wheel drive loaded with equipment. Um, so it's headed our way as well. And they're working on some breakthrough battery technology. So it's not just you know, mimicking existing product. It is actually developing new tech um, at the same time. So it's it's all on. Yeah. Now, I mean, well, it's funny you say that though, because that actually does bring up a point that, you know, with the, with the Chinese industry in general, up and, particularly up until now, and even, even with, you know, some of the cars we talked about today, there's no doubt that the the tank designers have looked mm. at Land Cruisers quite closely. Oh, yeah. might, have, might have had a passing yeah. passing yeah. glance at it. Yeah. <laughs> but Aura Aura does build that, uh, or they're or they're planning to build the effectively a Volkswagen Beetle. Ah, uh, yes, that's you know, right. It's a different. Like it's, co- it's, it's a, a different kind of cat, isn't it? Alley di- cat or something. Alley cat. Yeah, who knows? But like, <laughs> yeah, was, I mean, there was a wasn't there a there was a period you might remember this better than me, Jay's that. The, um, Great Wall, uh, f- uh, Fiat accused ah. Great Wall of basically copying the design, like maybe for the Panda or, or something, and was right. actually trying to sue them for copyright yeah. in China. Yeah. And they were both imported by the same local yeah. distributor in Australia, <laughs> which probably made for some Unreal. awkward meetings. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, yes. They're, thankfully, they're, they're, they're moving away from that, but I don't think they've completely abandoned that. I'd, certainly not Aura hasn't. So. Yeah. Well, the, 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 I just had a look. The name for the VW Beetle, obviously inspired uh, by the Beetle, let's just yes, say that, was, yeah. is the Punk Cat. The aura punk, punk cat. There's an course. even more challenging one to, How did to I not remember that? get across mm. the line. So there's a bit of that uh, strangeness out there still, uh, which is a bit of fun. But they are experimenting with, you know, sodium ion type batteries, which are less dense in terms of their ability to absorb and, and retain energy, but they charge much faster. So there's this 
balancing act between what's the best tech that's going to be most useful for consumers, mm. which I think is an interesting area to, to get into as well. Mm, for sure. All right. Well, that, that's a great chat. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Be great to hear what uh, people watching and listening make of all that. Where do you stand? Do you own uh, a Chinese drive car? What do you, what's your take on, on how they measure up currently? Be great to hear from you. But we're now going to move into our garage. And because COVID's got our, um, our hands tied behind our backs a little bit in various parts of Australia, we've adopted a, a new approach where we're thinking about memorable cars, places, drives, that have stuck in our memory. And Steve, you've got a beauty. You've got a great one. Fill us in, please. Yeah, well, I was sort of uh, reminiscing, so to speak, on, uh, I mean, do you remember back in the old days when we used to um, leave Australia and do this thing oh, called yeah. travelling? Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, so, Not even on ships. Sometimes it was on aeroplanes. Yeah, yes. there were. There's, there's yeah. big metal birds. Um, yep. Uh, yeah, a couple of years watching the Olympics, basically, the recent uh, Tokyo Olympics and specifically the, the cycling, uh, the road cycling, where they were, um, went to Fuji Speedway. And it reminded me, a couple of years ago, I was very fortunate to go to Fuji Speedway with uh, Lexus yep. uh, because they wanted to show off their um, Super GT cars, which is a big Japanese, uh, like their version of um, their supercars um, yep. and they're slightly more high tech. Yeah. Um, and we took a Lexus. We had an uh, RCF and a GSF. And went up to a road called the Hakone Skyline, which is yeah. dubbed uh, Japan's Nurburgring. You know, it's just this beautiful, like, twisty, sidious mountain road that basically runs along the top of a, I guess, a ridgeline. And um, it is uh, absolutely stunning. Like, it's a brilliant road, beautiful scenery. Like, you can, like, well, on a clear day, we weren't there on a clear day, but apparently on a clear day, you can see Mount Fuji. Um, but it's, it was fa- just fantastic. Well, it's interesting you say that, uh, Steve, because um, I've been there a couple of times and I wrote a story, I think it was uh, Motor Magazine, used to have great drives, and I did a little bit of research. It's a tollway now and there are three different drives and it's a bit like Tokyo's pressure release valve mm. where the, the cops kind of turn a blind eye and you go there, pay your toll and have a mad crack um, and no one really worries too much. The only thing is... Around there, it's a hot springs kind of place, and you'll get sightseers dawdling along the road, like looking at the view. Yeah, the oldies that have been in the onsen, you know, the, the yeah. therapeutic waters, and you'll you'll come around a corner. It's like, whoa, they're there. But as you're coming out of Tokyo, going towards Hakone, the closer you get, the more you notice. Uh, there's a guy on a full uh, cafe race bike with scratch pads on his elbows and knees. Where, yeah, where's, where's he going? Oh, look at that. There's uh, a high performance. Well, There's GTRs everywhere. What's going on? The You're headed one, to that drive. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing for me is even like before you get to the, particularly the, well, the way we approach, before you get to the to the toll booth, mm. we came up this like, like equally fantastic road that just basically it was just like constant switchbacks almost, this beautiful sort of snaking road that climbed up under the trees and everything. Unreal. And as you get to the top, there's some wider corners, these wider sort of large, you know, um, corners that come back around on themselves, absolutely painted in rubber. Like there is just yeah. it's clearly, and I, the, you know, this, apparently st- the story goes, that's a huge like uh, drifting spot, you know, t- you know, Turgay, right. the original sort of drifting, you know, street drifting. So not that we would encourage. So it's nicely, uh, it's nicely rubbered in. And yeah. uh, you can you can set a very good time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that's unbelievable. Like it's just all of a sudden it's just like it's like going to a, like going to a drag strip. It's unreal. It's just rubber 
all over the road. And like, you, occasionally just, you, like, you'll yeah, just see bit. carnage. It's, it, you know, it's a bit like I've been, help, I've been my car in the Nasher. You know, it's someone, yeah. I remember seeing um, an old MG went backwards off into the scene oh, really? and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, was uh, it's, I mean, it, it's also just a beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful country to drive around. That was True. a particularly great uh, driving experience, you know, with like going, Unreal. we drove through Tokyo, you know, just that hustle and bustle of Tokyo, which was uh, an eye opening experience in and of itself. And then you yeah. get out and yeah. And, and that's, I think the, the thing, if you haven't traveled to Japan is it's, it is a great sort of road trip country because once you get out of these, like you think of Japan as like these um, mega cities, mm. but once you get out of them, it's beautiful. Like it's a, yeah. it's beautiful and green and lush and, and, and yeah, they, they have these amazing roads like it's, it's, scattered it's all over the place. Funny you talk about driving in Japan because I remember going, it was Nissan. We went with Nissan and we were driving actually to Hokone um, and to watch a touring car race at that stage yeah. at Fuji. And we were going to have a fang at Hokone as well. And we were in these cars, um, uh, GTIR Pulsars and oh, wow. yeah, uh, 180SXs and all these wow. amazing cars. And these Aussie journos were carving up the traffic, just carving it up. And, you know, Japanese people are so polite in life and on the road and the etiquette is, is exemplary. So I was last in the chain and I'd go past these cars and you look across at people that had just been destroyed by these Aussie journos <laughs> and they had this look on their face like, well, what just happened? It was, it was uh, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. and the, the surface of the road is like oh yeah, fantastic. mix on a race circuit. It's so yeah. beautifully smooth. Yeah, it's fantastic. Right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm okay. I have to. I know this isn't a motorsport podcast, but I'd be you know mad at myself if I didn't mention it. Those the Super GT race at Fuji ah. Speedway just amazing. Like the cars there are so high tech. They're like like spaceships on the ground, but they just have this huge eclectic mix. And my favorite. Yeah was a mid-engined V8-powered Toyota Prius. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I love that. Like, like the freedom they give. I love that. Like just, um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that wasn't stock. I don't think, I don't think, sell, I don't think they sell it. No, it wasn't a factory option. Yeah, I love think. it to be. Love it to yeah. be. Yeah. Like um, Crafty, speaking of Prius, you, you were out in country where there are plenty of those. Uh, they're... <laughs> <laughs> thick on the ground. Tell us, tell yeah. us about your memorable drive. Well, I'm not going to spoil your your drive, Yarn JC. But suffice to say, between sandwiched between you and um, you and Steve and my yarns, probably a little bit more sedate and a little bit more closer to home. Uh, I uh, this is about my most recent trip, just before uh, things ramped up uh, as they have now. Um, so probably the last piece of substantial sort of freedom in terms of a, a, a long-distance drive that I've had. I drove from uh, Sydney uh, to Burke, uh, out through the Blue Mountains and Lithgow and, and up to Dubbo and out to Burke and out to a, a, a couple of camping grounds out that way. Um, would, would they actually be in the back of Burke? You, you, were prob- <laughs> yeah, you probably so, yeah. were in the, the back yeah. of Burke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, I, I think the locals got sick of me, um, you know, <laughs> saying the joke. Um, I'm sure they got sick of everyone uh, saying the joke, so which is probably why I got bashed. No. Yeah, nice. <laughs> not for the not for the first time. <laughs> yeah, not for the first. Yeah. You're I a well-known it. brawler. That's yeah. right. Um, but anyway, uh, an awesome trip. Obviously, the scenery changed once I was um, out past Dubbo uh, mm. and Burke. There, unreal red dirt. Uh, yeah. 
very lush. There'd been a bit of recent rain. I'll throw a few images up behind me. I went out with a good mate of mine, Glenn Sullivan of Sully Vision, who's a videographer and photographer extraordinaire. So we had a good couple of days. Um, we had to do it pretty fast because of uh, because of vehicle availability and that sort of thing. Uh, we took a camper trailer, but I'm a bit old school and so is he, so we had swags. We didn't even put the Great. camper trailer up. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it was pristine and you guys are sleeping oh, yeah. in swags next to it. <laughs> that's Always too posh. To carry one. Too, yeah, that's, too like, posh, that's, like, that's like Croc Dundee sleeping next to the bed in the hotel in yeah, Manhattan. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we but uh it was it was really sort of about a long distance test uh we're in a, a nissan navara pro 4x uh and we had the camper trailer along just as a toad load just to see how it'd go over corrugations and you know sort of chopped up backcountry roads and that sort of thing but an awesome trip some great photos great experience good company don't mm. tell glenn i uh, i said that mm. um but yeah, and just and just the the freshest in my mind in terms of you know being able to go just before uh, where you know we started experiencing. Did did, did you during that trip? Did you have a sense of impending kind of restriction, or it was it was still a bit in the a question mark? Yeah, no, it was still uh, we were still living the good life. I mean, this yep. this was okay. a, this was a good couple of weeks before things. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah, material went south. Yeah, but yeah, fabulous. I mean, and and when you're out there, you can start to get that big sky feeling too, can't you? You know, that, oh, yeah, that yeah. full horizon, 360 yeah. degrees. It's fabulous, and the night sky, yeah. and yeah, absolutely, all and, of that. So, great. and I was um, I was also stoked because we saw so much wildlife, like emus and kangaroos, and and, and just everything. And like I said, there'd been a little bit of rain, so it was probably a little bit greener than than what right. it generally is. Was but, there enough uh, time for the rain to have caused populations to to kind of grow? You know, the roos go out of out of control and they're everywhere. Or, or yeah, I or, think I think there was yeah. a little bit of activity off the back of it, um, and yeah. there are a couple of little uh, crossings that were that were pretty full, a lot uh, fuller than the last time I'd been out that way. So yeah, yeah. that was good though. Uh, fabulous, good, fabulous good part of the country. It is indeed. Yeah. Now um, I'll just uh, finish things up by I had the opportunity uh, in I want to say it was the late. 1980s and bmw has a thing called mobile tradition where they have their their collection but it's not always on static display they sometimes group they they just go to the toy box and choose different cars they're all on the button ready ready to drive and for particular groups you can go out and drive these cars and it was a, a media group i was a part of and i had the chance well first i had the chance to drive a e30 m3 evo and I'd, I'd never driven that car. That's uh, That was pretty special. But even more special yeah. was a, a 507. So um, for people that don't know, the 507 was like a late 50s model. It was a small capacity overhead valve of all things, uh, V8. Not, not massively powerful, but beautiful to look at. Front engine, rear wheel drive, four-speed manual. Uh, and it was meant to be a big seller in the USA. It was going to be BMW's big step into a glamorous model to set them up image-wise in the US. You know, thousands sold each year. It turned out to be very expensive to build because the body was alloy body and the alloy engine. They ended up building 252 of them, full stop. That was so it. Not, over... not thousands. Then. Not thousands. Slightly no, less. Okay. No, slightly Oops. less. They just realized this is sending us broke. It, it actually put the company on the edge of bankruptcy, um, this, this move. But what it did create was a very glamorous roadster and very few of them. So it's become a hugely desirable classic collector car. 
And here I was having the chance to drive it. And I was with uh, uh, a fellow journo, David, David Robertson. And we were just outside Munich. We were in this car and got lost. We got <laughs> comprehensively lost. But it was a beautiful, sunny spring day. And we were two blokes in a convertible, just you know, doing Probably. our thing um, through the canola fields. And yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was absolutely fantastic. There, I did a bit of digging. They're worth around five million bucks now. Jesus. So it was in the same time as your your three hundred SL Roadster from Merck, which was obviously a, a a supercar of the time. It wasn't quite at, at that level, but it was to fill that gap. Yeah, one one tier back from that. Elvis Presley famously bought one when he was serving in the U.S. military in Germany, um, and the factory carried out a, a restoration on that car reasonably recently. And we also drove a five hundred two sedan, which was the same engine. But I think one less carburetor and you know detuned a bit. But it had a column shift, V eight column shift. It was just an absolutely great day. But I think the yeah. highlight was that five hundred seven. They had a talk about motorsport, uh, Steve. They had a three two eight milia milia there, which oh, you, wow. could, you could hear from roughly you know the next postcode away. <laughs> it didn't get anywhere near driving that, which is probably a good thing. But uh, it was yeah, it was just a great yeah, yeah. great great day. Uh, for the for the for the young people who, uh-huh. who maybe don't uh, understand what a five is five oh seven correct me if I'm mistaken that was the inspiration for the for the Z eight right? totally sort of it was it was that was when we say that's a retro sports car it was retro because it was sort yep. of inspired by the five oh seven yeah so yep. I think within BMW the five oh seven is seen as a glorious folly you know it was yeah we yeah. we gave it a really good shot we loved the car it just didn't work out for various reasons. And things like that, that chrome flash on the front fender with a BMW roundel and then little vents, vents behind it, that was yeah. pretty much taken off and put on to the Z1. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, it became the, the design inspiration for that car, no doubt. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, it was good. It was good. All right. So let's get into the feedback. Now, Steve, this was all about one of your stories last week, and it's uh, Good to hear. it had created a lot of buzz. Uh, I trust it's all positive feedback. <laughs> it's, oh, just there's love in the air. There's love in the air, and it's not about the story. It's just about you. And oh, good, good. Yeah. Uh, but it, we were dealing with concept cars that should have been built. Just what a crying shame it was that these cars, for whatever yeah. reason, weren't built. Now, the the hero in all of this was. Um, Holden's concept, the uh, TT36 Tirana, yes. which, which brought back that amazing nameplate. And Salty Dog 889 said the designers of that Tirana had obviously never seen a Tirana. And, and that was a, a kind of um, a strange one to work out until Birdie chimed in and said, correct, this design appeared to have a roomy interior and a boot. The LX, LH to LX Tirana may be legendary due to racing heritage and styling, but was cramped. And he adds, it was no Centura. And wow, that's, that's, uh, that's, putting, that's putting a car down if it can't yeah, measure cool. up to a, a Chrysler Centura. <laughs> um, one, of, one, of the, one of the all-time greats uh, of the Aussie <laughs> motoring landscape. But Lofty, Lofty Visions chimed in with one that I thought absolutely, another one from Holden, but it was the Coupe 60 from 2008. He says another one that got yeah. away, sadly, which yeah. was essentially a VE-based Monaro. Yeah. Um, it, it was such a great-looking car. I totally agree with him. If, if that Monaro thing had continued on, it was a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, I mean, this was obviously that era of, of Holden just riding high. You know, they had they had money to burn, so to seemingly, yeah. and they could just they were experimenting. And you know, I think it all. I think all of it though, all of these cars goes back to the coupe concept, which became the Monaro. The fact that that was so well received, like emboldened Holden to make these crazy concepts. Um, I mean, yeah, most of them, apart from like Effigy, which was obviously oh. fantastic, but yeah. It I wasn't. Think, it wasn't think, close to production, really. I don't think I, that was, I, I, I yeah, don't, I don't think, think so. so. No, but like, yeah, Coupe sixty was was you know would have been great for the Monaro to to yeah. come back again, so to speak. But yeah, you know, as we've seen with with coupes, they're just not. You know, it's such mm. a hard business case to make. So mm. understandable. But you know, yeah, I think the the Tirana was kind of Tirana. I think was you know maybe it didn't quite adhere to the spirit of the original in the sense that of design in practicality but it was kind of at least it was it wasn't retro it was trying to be a modern version of it was it was it was really leaking a lot of a lot of commodore stuff out there Hmm. too oh yeah you know the interior and let's see what people make of this Uh, so it was a nice test bed in that regard yeah yeah all right well uh, the the oddly named Piri, aka Track Wrecker, um, came at us with some feedback. We'd been talking about um, just the most. Chesto, a couple of episodes ago, posed the question. We talk about classic, brilliant cars, E types, and others that have stood the test of time and still stand as beautiful uh, cars today. Where do you where do you stand on that? He came in with the Lamb- Lamborghini Asterian. Um, now you may remember this one. He says it's the best-looking Lambo since the Countach, and yet they didn't make it. He says the rear three-quarter angle was a ripper, and I had to wrap my brains. I do remember it. Asterian. Now, it was a plug-in hybrid, so it had 5.2-litre V10 mid-mounted, but then two motors on the front axle, and it made 910 horsepower, so 669 kilowatts. It'd do zero to 103 seconds. And I remember it at the time thinking, oh, I just don't know about the look of it. It had a bit of, bit of mirror to it. Um, yeah, okay. it, it, was, it almost looked like it should have been front engine from the proportions. And yeah. I thought, I don't know whether that's, that's on target. But, but Piri reckons it was right on the money, particularly that rear three-quarter view. So uh, for people on YouTube, see what, see what you make of it. But I do remember the current period. And at the time, a plug-in hybrid was pretty exotic. And it seemed yeah. like Lamborghini trying to, to put a stake in the ground, like we're, we're headed for a more environmentally friendly um, future. Well, which uh, they are now. Well, they are. But yeah. so it so, just felt like a little bit ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I remember, I've just Googled it. It's a, it, is a, it is actually, I, I think it's a stunning car. You know, All it's, right. It has got, it's sort of a, you know, like the interesting thing with Lamborghini is their, you know, their most famous cars are the Mira and the Countach, arguably that are polar opposites in terms of car totally, design. Yeah, you know, like yeah. one is that sort of very sleek and stylish sort of 60s supercar. And the other is that, you know, angular l- wedgie. L- Luna Rover. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah. and but that's what they've gone with for the whole rest of their you know existence up until now. And so the mirror yeah. almost stands out as an oddity simply because it's not like all the other but, ones. But uh, Crafty, they also had that uh, LM002. Do you, do you oh, remember yeah. that thing? That the, the big balloon tighter was initially going to be, it was for a military tender, and Lamborghini put their hat in the ring, and they put the V12 engine from the Countach into the front of it, and it was an off-road beast, you know, 
pre-Hummer kind of Hummer. They didn't win the tender, but they sold some privately. Has uh, that ever come into your consciousness? Well, I've not had a steer, JC. <laughs> no, <obviously>. right. <laughs> because Captain, I believe you've got a couple, well, though, yeah? yeah well, I don't think right. in the shed. No, well, I think I'm, roughly I'm three... It. Three people in the world have had a steer, yeah. I'd say. I'm, yeah. I'm not allowed in anything, you know, over 25 grand, JC. So okay, no. <laughs> good <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, now continuing on, Hammer had a, another two bobs because Mal, his memorable drive last week was when he and a couple of his uh, cronies got in a charade 10 years ago and drove from Sydney to Perth as quickly as they could. Um, and Hammer reckoned that would be a great adventure, albeit a fast one. I'd love to do something similar. And Russell Dines worked out that this cross-country run averaged 104 kilometres an hour. Mm. So they would have been in suburban areas for a little while, and I think across uh, the middle there, you're limited to 100 k's. So they've, they've done very well. Mm. And our old mate Bertie, who has an eagle eye for car and, you know, auto advertising in general, said, Charade, the car the computer created is here. All right, that's that's obviously an advertising positioning line. And sure enough, it is. And I dug out the ad for people on YouTube to see the car the computer created. Um, that the- I, don't, I, I don't know whether you want to hang your hat on that, but uh, no, no. artificial intelligence, when it would have been worryingly unintelligent, um, creating a car like that. But anyway... <laughs> Thank you for all that feedback. We always look forward to whatever you've got to say, good, bad, uh, and ugly. And with that, though, we have reached the finish line of today's show. So I want to say thank you, Steve. My pleasure. And thank you, Crafty. Thank you, JC. And and thanks to Brett Sullivan, you know, covering production duties for for Mr. Pritchard, who's at yet another family gathering, um, this time via Zoom. His grandfather, Percy Pritchard, turns 87 today, and Matt has sculpted an amazing likeness of him uh, to mark the occasion. People on YouTube will be able to see that. He slipped me some photos uh, so you could get a look. And it's great to see Brett getting into the Pritchard swing of things, uh, donning his favourite uh, Queen Elizabeth II outfit for today's show. It's, uh, I appreciate the effort, Brett, and it's a very regal look, very regal. He cuts um, a fine figure. He does, he does. A turned an- he turns his ankle very nicely in that so. <laughs> That's good. So jump into the conversation, Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at comments at carsguide.com.au if you prefer. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars would be great. Five stars would be be brilliant. Um, Thank you. And uh, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel and you can stay on top of all our latest content. Tell your friends. Uh, But before we go, a photon pulls into the hotel forecourt And the valet asks, can I help you with your luggage? Photon replies, I don't have any. I'm travelling light. (laughs) 